Hi, and welcome to another episode of the SIRS Group Podcast. I'm JC. And I'm Barbara. Today, as we head into the holiday season, we are talking about chronic illness and relationships. I think a lot of us have experienced a, a variety of, you know, what does Forrest Gump say? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Like we have experienced a variety of relationships throughout our chronic illness. And it's interesting to see how like different people react and respond to the fact that you have a chronic illness. Um, So we kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit today. We actually did a class in the SERS group. So if you are looking for kind of more of like our tips and tricks for working through or managing or establishing boundaries in relationships as someone who is experiencing a chronic illness, uh, definitely join the group so you can check out that class. But today we're going to talk more about like our experiences with relationships and having chronic illness. Love it. And uh, as always, we are not medical professionals. We are just patients. We've read the textbook. We've done a lot of research. We are really into SIRS uh, for whatever reason. You can psychoanalyze us later. But uh, we are just um, patients like you, potentially, if you're if that's what you are. <laughs> and so don't take this as medical advice. Yeah. Also, don't like uh, I'm going to tell you my experience with relationships, but for a variety of reasons, I should not be the expert on relationships <laughs> by any means. Yeah, we're um, also not therapists. We are not social workers. We are not any of those things qualified to talk about relationships in a, in a uh, you know, authoritative way. But hopefully you learn from our mistakes, right? Yeah. Or, or, you're, or you're forewarned at the very least. Let's yes. Say that. So when I taught the class, I kind of broke the kinds of relationships I've experienced throughout having SIRS into two categories. The first one being non-supportive people. And this is really interesting to me because I would say before I really experienced chronic illness, like I thought I was an empathetic person. I thought I was someone who like really cared for people I saw as suffering. But I think after having a chronic illness and especially an invisible chronic illness, it has made me way more empathetic um, I'm really grateful for this experience because I think it has made me a kinder person um, and someone who is just emotionally more available for different appearances of suffering. Like sure. if I saw someone who like was, I could physically see that they were suffering, I would have more empathy towards them than someone who says they're suffering, but I can't see it. It's like when someone says they are nauseous and you're like, but you're not green, you know? <laughs> it's like you have to take them at their word. And now I'm much more likely to take people at their word. Um, and so in the non-supportive relationships I experienced, it was really, a, you know, different colors of, I don't understand what you're going through. And so I don't know how to relate to this. And sometimes it was very well-meaning of like, I want you to be well and I can't make you well. And I don't know how to react to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was the most tragic non-supportive relationship I think I had was the one where it was just like that cognitive dissonance of like, I see this person I love who is suffering and I don't know how to help them. I can't make them feel better. So I'm just going to build these emotional walls because I don't know how to rationalize this or reconcile it in my own brain. Oof. Yeah. And this is, coming up in my head so i'll say it 
uh, lack of impulse control, uh, but also hopefully it's helpful. But I, there was a moment in time where things were tough in my life. And this kind of has to do with chronic illness in a way. Um, and I couldn't have my dog for a year and I didn't know it was going to be a year. I probably hoped it was only going to be a couple months. Um, and I also didn't know it was not going to be forever, which is terrifying. And I gave my dog to a couple who was absolutely perfect in every way for taking care of my dog at that time. And I never, for a very long time, I didn't go visit my dog. It was only 40 minutes away, but there was something about that. Like I, the fact that I couldn't have him, the fact that I was like at that point in my life where I couldn't, why am I crying? Because it's my dog. But my point is I built those walls to like, not like, I'm not like, if I didn't go see my dog, I wouldn't miss him because I wouldn't remember how great he is. And I feel like that's what happens to people. So I guess this is giving me, you describing that is giving me more empathy for those people who don't understand, which yeah. is good. I think, I mean, because if they're never going to understand, or if they're, if it's going to take them a very long time to understand, it's good to at least, it's good to know that there's like mechanical reasons. There's like, they're protecting themselves. They're doing what they, their, their brain their their energy, everything in them is doing what they need to do to protect themselves against that pain. And it sucks. It still sucks for everybody involved, but it's just what they are capable of. It's what they have the capacity for. And I think if you can find that and process that and and have some forgiveness and grace for them too, in addition to yourself, and just know that maybe for right now, while you're really sick and you can't handle explaining again or whatever else they're making you do, um, that you just focus on yourself and heal in the hopes that when you are more healed and stronger at the end of that, that you will then be able to rekindle that um, relationship in some way if if you want to. Mm. Um, so sorry, I, I feel like that was applicable. So hopefully that was helpful. Yeah, I think, you know, just even knowing that, and this may not be true for all of this category of relationships but just knowing that the motivation behind it is love that person loves you so much and they're watching you struggle and they don't understand like they can't understand at the level that you understand what you're going through they can't understand it they can't be in your body they can't have the experience that you're having um, and in the class we actually went through some strategies of trying to contextualize what you're going through for people in your life and i think that's a really powerful exercise you can you can do but at the end of the day if you do have that kind of non-supportive relationship it really is a motivation of love that person loves you so much and they can't reconcile what's happening to you with their their love for you essentially so i think that's a really powerful story to share and it makes us more empathetic towards those people who, you know, we, we love so much and it, it can be really frustrating to be on our side of that and be like, why can't you understand? Why can't you be there for me? And it really just comes down to, they emotionally don't have the bandwidth for it at that moment. And they're having a human experience as much as you are. Right. And on the flip side of that, and I don't know, did you have more to, that you wanted to cover with, with non-supportive relationships uh no i yeah i i would just say the other kind of non-supportive relationship is just going to be people who don't want to understand and maybe mm -hmm. their motivations are not so much out of love uh one 
very hard lesson I've learned this year is just having better boundaries for myself and realizing that as much as I love to give to other people and as much as I love to love on other people, the only way I can do that is if I take care of myself first. Yeah. My friends, my family deserve the absolute best version of me. And I can't be that if I don't take care of myself first. And so if you are a recovering people pleaser like I am, you can use those mental gymnastics to rationalize self-care too. But really creating those boundaries in your life when you need them, it's only going to expedite your healing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And I, you can hear that so many times, like, oh, you know, fill your cup first before trying to fill others. Like, the, like that gets said and thrown around a lot. And it's true. It doesn't mean that it's not true. But it can be so hard to really stop and to really say no to things in the moment. Tell people, like, oh, let me get back to you. If you can't say no in the moment to something that comes up, like, you don't have the energy and you don't know how to explain that to people, like... Just say, let me check my schedule. Give yourself some time and space before you say the no, preferably a no. Maybe you'll say yes, but but give yourself that time and space and, and practice. Just kind of be aware of it too. Even just being aware of when you immediately say yes when someone needs something. Just like, oh, wow, I said yes very quickly to that. And that, that's going to actually be really hard because now I'm going to miss this appointment or now I'm going to have to move this thing around. Like if you can have some awareness about the things that you are doing for others and have an appreciation for that. And maybe just try just a little bit each day or each week to cut back on those things that you do for others. Try to offload them to other people. Try to delegate, um, you know, uh, uh, some uh, a woman that's in one of my calls uh, realized that she's the one driving all her kids around to their soccer practice and like all, you know, she's doing all of it. She has like five kids and she's realizing, you know what? I need to set up like a carpool. Like I mm -hmm. need to do like, yeah, yes, do that. Like take a little extra time now to offload some of your energy so that you can conserve it and have time for yourself. Um, and so this is, I guess, more about a relationship with you rather than other people. But but um, I think just to go to your towards your point of uh, also a chronic people pleaser, um, it's just something that I'd like to be more aware of going forward and really remind myself how important it is to take care of me and to not overload myself with things, especially when I'm sick and trying to heal. Yeah, that's really powerful. And another thing I'll say is one thing I've been practicing this year is exerting preferences, even when I don't have one. So I think that maybe this isn't everyone's experience, but a lot of people's experience might be like, oh, I don't want to be a burden to other people. So I'm just going to ha not have preferences. Like, I don't care what happens either way. And throughout my life, like, I, I'm a pretty chill person. Like, most of the time, I really don't care. Like, I do not care. But I think when you exert preferences consistently to the people in your life, they become used to you being someone who has preferences, who has needs, who has wants, who is a human being living a human experience just like they are. So don't be convenient. Don't be the convenient person in situations. Exert preferences. And something I've done because I just very often don't have a preference, like I'll just choose something. And it's also funny because I think a lot of times, like if you're in a group of people and we're like, where should we go to dinner? I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. But if you're the person who's like, you know what? I think I would really like Buffalo Wild Wings. And then it like takes the pressure off of everyone else too. So again, you can do the mental gymnastics of a recovering people pleaser to be like, actually, by exerting a preference, I'm helping other people. Um, 
but those are just a couple of things you can kind of do to establish boundaries in a very friendly way or a very like easy stepping into being a you know a person who has wants and needs and um starting to communicate that especially if you have not communicated those things in the past just giving yourself the space like you said to say no at some point and then also being someone who starts exerting preferences and communicating those preferences to the people around you I think are two steps you can baby step into boundaries I love it lots of good tips and I love that we are um basically uh what's the word um reminding ourselves <laughs> in this episode <laughs> more for us guys than for you I hopefully you you also have use of it but <laughs> I uh I teach an Olympic group and at every class people are like oh my gosh this resonates with me and I'm like yeah this was my journaling for this week <laughs> like, yeah, right. this is the work that I'm actively doing <laughs> right right perfect I love As, that so the other kind of relationship category would be supportive relationships and at the face of this it seems like a positive thing right like oh it's a supportive relationship everything is good to go um, but in the supportive relationships I've had as someone experiencing chronic illness there can also be kind of a I'm not going to say a negative side but like a non-positive side and one of those is toxic positivity there was a point in time where like I was going through so much, like just so, so much all at once. It was like health issues, relationship breakdowns. And whenever I would communicate this to the people around me, they'd be like, oh, but if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you can do hard things. And I wanted to scream at them because I would be like, I know I can do freaking hard things. I do freaking hard things all the time. And I think um, that toxic positivity of someone reacting to your suffering with like, it almost feels dismissive of mm. what you're going through of like it they aren't saying they're acknowledging the suffering that you're going through they're not holding space for you they're just saying like oh well you'll get through it that's what it felt like to me even if that's not how the person meant it that was my experience of what they were saying and so my tip for this would be if someone is communicating to you that they're struggling hold space for them and just be like man, that sucks. Do you, are you, do you want to just vent right now? Are you looking for solutions? Be that person who asks and teach the people around you to ask instead of just being reactive. And like, for me, I internalize a lot and isolate instead of doing that, just communicate to them like, oh man, I'm going through some hard stuff right now. Do you mind holding some space for me and just letting me vent? Mm. And I think if you can lead with that, especially um, rather than reacting to it after the fact, it kind of sets the expectation for the other person of like, oh man, I just need to be that listener, that holder of the the knowledge and the acknowledgement of what this person is going through. Yeah, that is great advice. And the the communication, just to kind of piggyback off of that, um, you know, especially if we're talking about like significant others in in your life. Um if you can, if you have the resources, and I know you're going through SIRS treatment and uh, and so that's expensive and you probably have kids and those are expensive and all the things, right? If you can allocate some amount of funds towards couples therapy, and, and it's not like, a, oh my God, this is the last straw and we're about to break up. Like and a lot of people see couples therapy as that. Um, 
but that's something that I've done. And, and it's, it's so helpful to kind of, it's, it's almost like the sacred hour per week, let's say, or whatever cadence you choose of this is time that you and your spouse are, are setting everything aside. Your phones are off. You are focused on each other. You're focused on the relationship and communicating better. So if you're, if you do have trouble communicating what you need in a relationship and you need help, you need a mediator basically to help you communicate the pain that you're going through in your, your own, um, health journey. Um, finding a good couples therapist to kind of lead you through that. Or if, if couples therapy is too much, then at least get one of your own um, to help you articulate what you're going through to help the people around you understand that and kind of get on board with, with what you're doing. Um, I've leaned into that and I am very thankful and blessed to have an amazing partner uh, or boyfriend, whatever name we want to call. But um, he, he has been Boyfie. so boyfy. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, Poor Alan. I know, but he's, he's been so like, he has, he has dealt with a lot and he has been supportive through so much. I'm going to freaking cry again. I'm not going to, my point is, this is not to brag on my boyfriend, but just to say that I'm very thankful that I did not experience a lack of understanding from him. And I hate that others do. I hate that for them. But it does give me hope. <clears throat> and it's not that he was just on board to begin with. I had to convince him of what SIRS was. I had to explain to him what I was spending this money on and like why and what this test was for and all of that. But he was able to see me get better. And he was able to, he was actually the best indicator of me getting better because he was noticing, wow, your energy's better. Like you used to be so tired all the time, like literally all the time you were tired. And I didn't even know. I didn't notice when I was like looking out for SIRS treatment, I wasn't like, I'm so fatigued. That was not even on my radar. I was just thinking GI issues. That's it. And the fact that he saw some of those improvements as I was going along, um, gosh, if you could get some buy-in from your spouse, at least for the first couple months, like, and not, and not everybody gets quick results like that. So I shouldn't even say that, but, but if you can get some buy-in just to like have them try this out you know, with you, not take the medication, but be on board with you trying it, trying out the protocol. Um, I just think that they're going to be such a great indicator for you. They're going to see the changes in you too. And they're going to end up being uh, believers and supporters more so than they may start out with. They're, and if they're skeptical back to what we were talking about earlier, they're protective. They're protective of your, your resources, your finances, your, your, you, they want you to get your hopes up again on this new rabbit hole, potentially. Like I, I get the skepticism, you know, believe me. But, um, I think that, I think there's a lot there if you can, if you can bring them around. Um, but, but like I said, uh, therapy was instrumental for me in my process of, um, you know, having that support and making sure I could, uh, communicate all of that well to the people around me. That's amazing. And I think, you know, to your point of people often think of couples therapy as like a last ditch effort when really it should be your first port of call. Like it should be your first step of like, I'm struggling to communicate with my partner. So I'm going to find better tools to communicate better. Um, and I think even like having a partner that's willing to go through that with you, to acknowledge that with you, is a really powerful thing. And so if you have supportive relationships, even if it may feel difficult at times, like no one's, no one's relationship is perfect all of the time. Right. 
but man, if you can have a supportive relationship and you, you can figure out the communication that works for both of you, it's such a powerful tool to help you get better. And then your partner only benefits, like, right? Like you being more energetic only benefits him right. because you are able to show up as the best version of yourself and you're able to be more present in that relationship too. Because for me, it was like for so long, I was just surviving. Like all of my energy was focused on me and getting through the day and getting through the pain of the day that I didn't have bandwidth for other people. I didn't have bandwidth to maintain relationships. And I feel bad about that. Like, I feel bad about being a neglectful daughter and friend and partner and all of those things. But to give myself grace and to give everyone listening grace is like, you are literally surviving. And that is such a beautiful, courageous thing every day that you can't beat yourself up for it. All you can do is take the next best step towards healing and know that there's a light at the end of this tunnel there's a purpose behind this and the purpose is your life, right? Like we go through service treatment so that we can live these amazing lives and have these beautiful relationships. And that should be kind of the, the, the North star for all of the effort that we're going through. And especially when it's hard, it's, it's nice to remember of like, what is my why for doing service treatment? It's so that I can thrive and not just have all my energy be on surviving, but actually have energy to give to other people and to these relationships in my life. I love that. Yeah. I, and I will transition uh, awkwardly now, now that I'm acknowledging it uh, to, to also remind people that that is why we started the community. You don't have to join ours, but find a community, find some people. If you don't have that kind of support in your life, if you are struggling with that communication uh, with your spouse or your siblings or parents or anybody in your life, your, your employers, oh, that's a whole other level. Um, but if you're having trouble with that, find people who understand, find others that have SIRS. JC and I have said it many times, we are so thankful of all the times we could have been diagnosed with SIRS. We got diagnosed together in like the same month, um, within the same week, I think. But it, just to have that back-to-back like that kind of support the whole way uh, is everything. And so so when you're when you are second guessing yourself and you're wondering, gosh, is SIRS real? Is this protocol real? Like uh, surround yourself with people who remind you uh, not to just talk you into it, but to like be living proof, you know, like I'm a little bit further behind in my healing, but I can look at JC and go, JC healed, like JC's like symptom free, basically. Um, so, so I can always, I love that I have that in my life. So find yourself a JC and, and make sure that you have people in your life that do understand or on, and are on board with you. And if it has to be strangers on the internet that you all, you all have sirs and you all, and that's, that's the extent of what you have in common. Awesome. That's also great. That's still great. Um, and that's why we do our group calls in the, in the, um, the community and, and why we have the classes. It's just more chances for us to share and commiserate and learn from each other and uh, show that support and love. So definitely seek it out. It's there to be had. So just make sure you find your piece of that for sure.
Yeah. And I was going to say, even though you start out as strangers on the internet after a couple group calls and, you know, we're all talking about our bowel movements, you're not going to be strangers <laughs> for very long. So if you're interested in having that shared experience with us in our group calls, if you're looking for more resources and support on your SERS journey, you can join us over at the SERSgroup.com. Yep. See you there.